We're going to begin a new series this morning, How to Conquer Habits, Dealing with Temptation, but doing so God's way. Every born-again child of God must constantly stay on guard because all of us can very easily, very, very easily fall into sin. The problem with sin is it's not just static. It's a very dynamic thing. It creates a chain of reaction that has very destructive consequences. Over the years, uh, if you're a Christian, you might become a little careless and begin to think that, well, I will never be overcome or I'll never fall into this or that sin. But I will tell you, after being in the ministry for as long as I have now, I have seen the most mature believers, people you would never in your wildest imagination fall into traps, do and say things that they themselves would have never even thought that they would do, became hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It's been said that free cheese is always available in a mousetrap. And you know, it is a trap. It may be free, but there's a price to pay. And in this new series, we're going to take several of the great passages in Scripture that have to do with temptation There are many, many ways people choose to deal with temptation. Some people ignore it. Some people just try to use drugs. But I will tell you, God's way is the best way. And Conquering Habits is going to be, I believe, an epic series for us. Let's all bow our heads for a prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for this opportunity. Teach us, Lord. Keep us from the deceitfulness of sin. Teach us how to to face, uh, Lord, those temptations your way and to, to win over them, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sin can be very deceitful. I heard a story about an Amish farmer, Amish farmer who brought a new pair of overalls. Of course, you know, the Amish are very famous for their simplicity and always trying to avoid pride. As he put on his new overalls, he looked in the mirror and he said, oh, this will never do. I will be so proud of these. So he removed his new overalls, put on his patched, worn, dirty ones, stood in front of the mirror again and said, oh, Benjamin, you look good in anything. (laughs) And you know, pride is like that, isn't it? Sometimes we can be proud that we're not proud. And that's the story of the Amish man. All right, let's go to verse uh, 13 of James chapter 1. Now, the book of James is designed by the Holy Spirit to be a very practical, practical book. It is, as one called it, religion in street clothes. Let's read verse 13 together, please, out loud. Ready? We have the King James Version, if you don't have it in front of you. Ready? Begin. Let no man say when he is tempted... I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, in the book of James, the King James Version uses the word temptation in two senses, similar to the book of Romans, uh, where you have to be very aware because he uses the word law in seven different ways. Here he uses the word temptation in two different ways. The first way is that which we're going to be dealing with, and that is an inducement to do evil. The second way that the King James translators use the word temptation actually would be better translated or maybe 
more easily for us to understand as the word test or trial, which are allowed by God. They're allowed to mold us and they're allowed to make us and they're allowed by God to mend us. The temptations to do evil are not by God. They are not to help us. They weaken us and they come not from God, but certainly from Satan. And whether you're male or female, whether you're young or old, whether you're mature or immature in the things of the Lord, you need to listen because the devil, if he hasn't already, plans to sabotage your life. Do you realize that the devil already has dug a pit for you? He has got traps in the way and they're big, they're small. Uh, We're trying to trap some little varmints that are destroying our property over there and the They told me that the best thing to use is marshmallows, and they'll follow that little to the place where that they will get trapped. But you know what? Whether it's marshmallows for you or whatever it is, the fact is the devil has his mind set to trap you. And notice what it says, let no man say when he is tempted. Say that word when with me, please. When he is tempted. I am tempted of God. You need to underscore that word there because it doesn't say if you're going to be tempted. It just says when. Everybody in this room will be tempted. I don't care if you're 92 years old and say, I'm too old to be tempted. That is not the case. Nobody is immune to temptation just because you're a child of a God. Many people mistakenly think that because I'm a Christian, I'm not going to have a lot of temptations. But I remind you, it was when Jesus was spirit-filled that he was then led by Satan to be tempted. It was at his most spiritual moment. Sometimes people will say to me, boy, I wish I didn't have to work out in the construction world, or I didn't have to work in an office somewhere. I wish I could be a preacher. I wouldn't be faced with all the temptations I'm faced with. But I will tell you that the devil not only shoots at preachers, he aims at them. He gets his big guns out. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, no man knows how bad he is until he's ever tried to be good. What a silly idea that good people don't know what temptation means. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. Absolutely true. All of us suffer temptation. The very second you become a friend of God, you become the enemy of Satan. And when God opens up the window of heaven to bless you, Satan opens the door of hell to blast you. It is a fact of life that we are going to be attacked by Satan. Sometimes people say, oh, you Christians are always talking about the devil. You're talking about demons, talking about the Antichrist. Sometimes they kind of portray Christians as being superstitious or maybe even uneducated. Well, I will tell you the reason that some people have no issue with the devil is because they're going in the same direction as the devil. But I tell you one thing, if you ever get born again and you start going against the devil, you will find out the devil is very real. There was a fellow who found Christ as a savior and he was a somewhat unlettered man, but he loved the Lord very fervently. He was always telling his boss, boy, the devil is dogging me. The devil is after me. And he was just really having a trouble with temptation. One day he went out duck hunting with his boss and his boss looked at him and said, Sam, you know, you 
I know you claim to be a Christian and you're always talking about you're wrestling with temptation, always talking about the devil being after you. He said, you know, honestly, I don't make any pretense of being a Christian. But the devil never bothers me. How do you explain that? Well, he said, boss, suppose we shoot two ducks today and one falls dead, obviously dead. The other still flopping in the water. Now, which one are we going to go after first? He said, well, we're going to go after the one that's still flopping. He said, that's right, boss. He said, the devil knows you are a dead duck, but he comes after me because I'm alive. The fact is, there is never a time when you're going to come to the place where you are no longer tempted. And if you think that, you are absolutely tempting the devil to tempt you. Sin is universal and it is deceitful, so don't get casual. Someone once said, casualness leads to carelessness, and carelessness develops into callousness. I love what Johnny Hunt Evangelist said, sin thrills, then it kills. Sin fascinates, then it assassinates. And you know, I will tell you that sin is something that is on us all the time, and temptation is a when, not an if. Now, there are two things by way of introduction I'd like to say. First of all, there is nothing in the personality of God that we can lay the blame of sin on. Look at verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted. In case anybody has this uh, mental gymnastics that are going on thinking that, well, you know, I'm not really responsible for my sin because God tempted me with evil. Rest assured, there is nothing in the character of and the nature of God where he will ever send temptation. Why is that? Because it's actually impossible for God to tempt. It's against his very nature. Mankind loves to blame God for his sin. And most people don't just come right out and say, God made me sin. They just kind of hide it and veil it a little bit. They uh, say things like, uh, you know, I'm not going to give my tithes and offerings to the church. They just want my money. That's a veiled way of saying, you know, God, you know, just is trying to get something from me. But I remind each of us that God needs nothing. And that's really what this verse is saying. How could God tempt you? He needs nothing. He's not, he has no needs. So how could he tempt us with something? He, he doesn't need our money. Why would he try to do something so evil as to just try to take people's money away from them? In fact, the book of Hebrews says this. It says that it is impossible for God to be tempted. You say, wait a second now. Impossible for God to be tempted? Well, I thought Jesus was tempted. And isn't Jesus God? Yes, Jesus was tempted. And yes, Jesus was God. But Jesus was more than God. He was also man. He shared our humanity. And in his humanity, he was tempted But in his deity, he was without sin. And so, first of all, the Holy Spirit, through James, says this. He said, now, don't ever imagine that there's something about the nature of God that's off. He's got a a shortcoming in his nature. No, God never will ever tempt us with evil. Nothing about his personality. Number two, nothing about his providence or circumstances that he places us in. The providences that we go through. Look at the second part of that verse. Not only can not God be tempted with evil, but neither would he ever tempt people with a evil circumstance. There was nothing that God would ever create 
that would promote sin. Well, now wait a second, you know, I don't know, I've been in some situations that, you know, this just made me sin. That's kind of like what Adam said. Adam threw God under the bus, you know, God said, Adam, you sinned. And he said, well, you know, you gave me that woman and she, you know, was the one who really, you know, I mean, without, without just saying, coming out and saying it, he basically told it was God and it was the woman. Today, we hear more and more people rationalizing their sin. More and more, we hear people say, it isn't my fault. God gave me this attraction. And even further, if God gave me this attraction, then it couldn't be bad. Of course, the most common thing that we hear people saying that about is same-sex attraction. But the truth is, people say that and can say that, and maybe even you or I say that about anything. For example, I've heard people say, look, God gave me this type A personality. God gave me this this, uh, anger that I have. Or I've heard people say, I'm angry because I have red hair. Or I'm angry because I'm Irish. (laughs) Or the Christian cop-out, I have a gift of profit. (laughs) No, you're just rude, that's all. And... uh, You need to stop being a fussing sister. And we so often struggle by making an alibi about our sin. The fact is, if God tempted us, then we have a perfect alibi. If God places us in a situation that's out of our control, then we have God to blame. I've heard people say, hey, I'm a crook because I was raised in a ghetto. No, you're a crook because you're not honest. Or, I I did this because of the glands that I have. Or, it's my parents' fault. My mother was so mean, she never let me push my oatmeal onto the floor. And she was a real mean lady. Or, she was from the Midwest, you know. Or, my parents did whatever. Some people say, oh, you know, my they're not sinful, they're just sick. It's not his fault. It was the Twinkies that did it, or whatever the case is. But the folks is, God never buys that. And very clearly, the Bible says God never tempts people. There's nothing about His personality, His nature. There's nothing about His providence. There's nothing about the circumstances that He puts in our life that would make us sin. Every one of us can always give a reason why we sin. The fact is... We need to say like the old song says, it's me, O Lord. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And so now let's find the fourfold progression of temptation. With those two um, theological concepts out of the way, that there's nothing about God that tempts us. We can't blame God. We can't put it at the feet of God. It's impossible. Let's follow the progression of temptation. Number one, the course of sin. But every man is tempted, and now we're using this in a negative way, not a positive way. It's not, the word is not tested here, or trial. Every man is induced to do evil when he is drawn away of his own lust. Say that word own with me, please. Own lust. You know, every time we have a, one of these tragic mass shootings, The thing that everybody wants to know is what happened? What, you know, where did he get this mind or she get this mindset? You know, who 
tyrannize them or, you know, are they bullied or are they part of some terrorist group or we always want to know why, what was the motivation behind it? Well, you or I may not be a mass killer, but the fact is the origin of all temptation is ultimately our own hearts. It is always an inside job. Yes, it's true that the, some match might have, you know, lit the wood, but my heart was full of dry wood, and that's why it was flammable. It's, I can't blame it on the match. It is my sin, and the Holy Spirit puts the responsibility exactly where it belongs. Now, the book of James illustrates it by an immoral woman seducing a man or an immoral man seducing a woman. So the man might seduce the woman or the woman might seduce the man, but in both cases, both are immoral. And that's the illustration that he's going to use here. I read a story this week of uh, coming, a new story coming out of Turkey. They very, still have a very um, um, common land, uh, not, all, not as developed as uh, maybe they'd like to be. A lot of sheep herders there. And I read about uh, several families that were just devastated because of the death of their sheep. It's, uh, it's a crazy story, actually. They, uh, they said that 1,500 sheep walked off of a cliff. So these people owned all these sheep, several families. And the first sheep walked off, and every sheep, 1,500 of them, followed. 450 of them died until the pile of sheep got so high <laughs> that the ones that were following it, they just fell on these pillow of uh, sheep, you know. And uh, I know it's not funny, but... Um, but 500 sheep. Now, folks, that's, I read that story. I just had to say, man, I tell you what, that is absolutely like the human nature right there. One sheep will go off a cliff and everybody else just walks to the same thing. I mean, look at all the junk and the vice out there that is destroying homes and destroying people. And yet every generation after another just keeps like sheep, just following after the next one. The course of sin. It begins with us. Number two, the control of sin. Now notice what it says in verse 14, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Look at that word drawn away. The word drawn away there in the original language means to be forcibly compelled. It's kind of like a magnet. When you have a magnet and you have some steel, it is just by nature, it is just drawn to that. There is a natural seductiveness to sin. Actually, the word is a nautical term. It is a fisherman's term. It is the idea of a fisherman who is catching a fish by using a special bait, lure, or method. Now, we have uh, fishermen in our church who just love to fish. Go out here in the delta, go to the lake, and so let's imagine for a moment, uh, Brother Cash over here, Brother Cash, where are you? Brother Cash over here. And uh, he loves to bass fish. And so he's trying to outthink the bass. Pretty challenging for Brother Cash, but um, he's trying to outthink that fish. And so he's out there in that delta and he's on that boat. And Now what does he think? He 
Now, I, if I went out fishing, I would, I would never catch a fish because I just say, I don't know what you do. You just go out there and throw a hook in the water and stand there and get on the hook, stupid fish. And uh, that's the way I fish. But, uh, or when you go deep sea fishing, they just tell you, drop your lure, you know, drop it down to, you know, 100 feet and you'll catch a fish. They put 10 hooks on the line. You're going to snag one of them. I caught one fish one time deep sea fishing, snagged him in his tail. And that's the kind of fishing I do. And uh, Brother Cash, he thinks like a fish, like a big old bass. And he's thinking, boy, that bass is going to like a big old earthworm. It's going to like it early in the morning. And he sees a rock over there. He says, that fish is... I, can, I just know that fish is underneath that rock over there. And so he throws it underneath that rock, and then he reels over there. Well, if it, and if it doesn't get a bite for a few minutes, he'll get a sharp little, um, some kind of bright little lure, and he'll throw it over there. He'll just keep working it. And that, he's right, that bass is there just sitting there looking at that thing, just looking at it, looking at it. Finally, the right bait. Now, the bass never goes after the hook. The bass goes after the bait. And the right bait, the right time, and then he feels that tug and he sets that hook. Now, folks, that's exactly the word that James is using here. He said, we are drawn away. We, there is a bait there that is a compelling, like a magnet. It gets us. Now, everybody has a little different bait. For you, it may be this. For me, it's this. But all of us have a little different bait that kind of raises our blood pressure. We might be able to walk by this and walk by this, but all of a sudden there's something. And the devil is like, <laughs> the devil's like Brother Cash. He is out there. He is, just, <laughs> he is just out there trying to catch us, catch that big fish, that is. And uh, he just knows what it is. You know what a common term for a, uh, a prostitute is? It is a hooker. Now, where did they get, up, where did they get that term, hooker? Well, uh, there is uh, her appearance is the bait, but there is a hook in her, and she will land you to that shore, and she will gut you. And that's what God is trying to point out to us, that there is a hook, and they tantalize, and that's what the devil does. He hangs it in front of us, and he knows what bait to use, and he knows the timing of the bait. Any good fisherman knows that not only is it the bait, but it's the timing of the bait. Some fish, I don't know how people know this, but they're not hungry in the middle of the day. I'm not sure how, if you ever talked with a fish or something, but the fish in the morning they like to eat, or at nighttime they like to eat, but they don't like to eat in the middle of the day, apparently. The timing of it, drawn away, drawn away from, the timing of it is important. Notice the word drawn away. Drawn away. Really? So that meant they were doing something that were pulled away from it. Folks, um, we, if, if we are doing the right thing at the right time, we won't fall into sin. It's the timing often of sin. You know that I've never known anybody to watch porno in a church service. Never, never heard of it. Never seen it. Hope was never happened. Um, did you know that nobody ever cheats on their spouse at the same time they're quoting scripture? Why is that? Because when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, then we won't have the temptation. But when we draw away from, we allow Satan to draw us by a bait. We're drawn from what we're supposed to be doing. 
That's why if it's Sunday, be in church. Don't be in a place where Satan can get a hold of us. I remind you of the story of David and Bathsheba. David, it says very specifically, was a king, a leader. And as a leader, he was supposed to be in a certain place at a certain time. But he wasn't. He was hanging out all by himself, sitting on a rooftop. And when he looked down, he saw Bathsheba. It was the timing drawn away. He, if he had been where he had supposed to have been, it wouldn't have been that way. And so it's the timing, the course of sin, the control of sin, now the consent of sin. Would you close those doors, please? I think we're good with the, with the smell at this point. Cool us down a little. Verse number three, or excuse me, now the consent of sin. The consent of sin. Verse number 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. If we allow temptation to inflame the desires in us, it will soon ripen to a place where we give consent. And when we give consent, God calls that conceiving it. There's no sin when the bait is just being dangled. Now, I am a firm believer in limiting temptation as much as possible. If you have an alcohol problem, I don't think it's a good idea to go write your sales report in a bar. You think? Probably not a good idea. You remember that good old gospel program, Hee Haw? Anybody remember that program? Doc Campbell was confronted by a patient who says he broke his arm in two places. Well then, stay out of them places. <laughs> and that's exactly, stay out of them places. You won't get your arm broke. You know, sin is said to be a combination of three things. An undetected weakness, an unexpected temptation, and an unprotected life. I'll say that again. Sin is often a combination of three things. An undetected weakness, an unexpected temptation, and an unprotected life. And I believe we can protect ourselves from a lot of temptations. And yet we can't keep ourselves from every temptation. We can't keep the devil from casting a temptation, but we can keep ourselves from consenting. And that's what God is saying here. He is saying sin comes from within. There is a timing for it. There is a, there's a bait out there, but you don't have to consent. It's when you consent that becomes the sill. Here he gives, and it is implied because of the word conception, there is an implication here that this is a marriage that takes place. And I want you to follow closely. Down the aisle comes an unholy desire. Standing at the altar is free will. Presiding over the marriage, Satan. Down the aisle, unholy desire walks. Standing faithfully at the altar is free will. Satan looks at free will and says, free will, will you take lust to be your wedded wife? Free will thinks about it for a minute, has the choice to say yes or no, and then says yes. Well then, I pronounce you man and wife. Free will and lust now are united and an unholy marriage takes place. A shopkeeper looked at a little boy that was, eyes were on the front of his shop and big old red apples. And he said, boy, are you trying to steal one of my apples? 
No, sir, replied the little boy. I'm trying not to steal one of your apples. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Is that free will. Do I? Do I not? Now, out of this unholy marriage comes a child. And that's what he says here. It brings forth a conception. My free will and my lust come together, and it brings forth a conception. What is it? It is sin. It's a sin baby. Sin baby is born. And you know how everybody loves babies. They're the best thing in the world. We got, everybody loves a baby. And people are so proud of their sin. We've come to a day in America where people don't just sin. They're proud of their sin. I mean, they flaunt it and they just flagrantly parade it in front of people's faces. And they are proud of their sin babies. And that's where sin gets its power. By persuading us that we'll be more happy if we follow than if we don't. And let me just put a footnote in here. You know, I think sometimes we preachers, and I'm sure parents are the same way, we make a mistake. Sometimes we tell youth, hey, there's no fun in sin. But the reality is there are folks out there that are living in sin that are having the time of their life. I mean, they are just, they are absolutely happy and excited, fun. We tell them they're not having fun. They're like, I'm not, really? <laughs> Last time I checked, I was having fun. But he'd listen to this verse, Hebrews eleven twenty five. But the pleasures of sin are but for a season. That's what we need to tell them. Yes, sin is fun, but it's only for a season. Because sin has a built-in diminishing factor in it. It just is built in. It, it's in its very DNA. It always gives its best at the beginning. It is never better than the first time. Did you know that? Sin is never better. It only gets worse. Now, the devil is too smart to fish like I would with just a hook. He fishes with always a hook and a bait. A man was walking down the road one time. He had a basket on his arm. In the basket, he had all kinds of beans. He was throwing the beans out as he was walking along. A herd of pigs was walking along after him, gobbling up those beans. Someone looked at him and said, Mr., that's a strange way to feed your pigs. He said, I'm not feeding them. He said, we're headed to the slaughterhouse. And you know, that is exactly what happens today. The devil has a basket on his arms, and he's just throwing out the beans of pleasure, and he's just leading us to the slaughterhouse. He has not got anything but bad for us. The course of sin, the control of sin, the consent of sin. When we consent to sin, then conception takes place. When we say, I do, a sin baby comes. And then finally, the commission of sin. Here's where it, uh, here's where it goes down. Verse 15, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. If you've been in church at all, or if you've ever gone to Bible college or maybe our Bible Institute, you've heard the words, the sins of omission and the sins of commission. Sins of omission are the things that we should do that we don't do, and the sins of commission are the things that we do that we shouldn't do. Here he's talking about the commission of sin, the finishing of it. Once we finish sin, once we commit sin, the act of commission, then it becomes a habit. And once we make our habits, then our habits make us. 
Because look what it says. It brings forth death. People say, man, I, I've sinned and I didn't die. I'll tell you something. There is never a time when I sin that death doesn't come. Some kind of a death. It might be upon my uh, mind. It might be upon my emotions. It might be upon my spirit and certainly even upon my body. Did you know that there's a whole host of destructive maladies that come from sin? And that's what God is saying here. Don't buy it. Don't, don't swallow that bait because there's a hook in it. Now, I know burning inside of us, we've got this drawing. There's this inside of us that we have this, this lust. But don't say yes to that. Don't let your free will say yes to lust. Because if you do, there is a host of issues. Did you know that there are even physiological effects of sin? For example, did you know that one episode of anger, let's just say, and they, I was reading, they say that the average American gets angry one time a day and gets peeved at least three or four times a day. But one episode of anger, just one, results in a release of all these uh, transmitter chemicals. They're called catecholamines. One of the most common of them is uh, one you probably have heard of, epinephrine, which is a stimulant. So one uh, episode of anger, let's say you just get ticked off at your maid or your child or somebody driving, just one episode. They say that the chemicals that were released in your body last for hours. One so think about this. If I get angry once, all those chemicals are just rolling in me. People say, Bill, be careful about what you eat. You know what? You better be more careful about what's eating you. Because it, it just gets inside of us. And one anger, I mean, those chemicals just flow. And it has a physiological effect. And we know that it has a physiological effect on the heart. Who knows what it does to the brain and other parts of our body, folks. We cannot afford physically to fall into sin because there is an effect. It's an effect on all of us. Sin, when it is finished, brings death. It brings death to my spiritual walk. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't have excitement. Folks, you ought to be excited about your Christian life. There ought to be just this excitement. This, there, I mean, maybe can't be walking around maybe grinning all the time, but folks, I'm telling you, there ought to be a joy to the Christian life. If not, there's a death there. If there's a death in your spirit, if there's a death in our mind or our emotions or a death in our body, we don't see when it's finished. Someone called this the devil's LSD. Lust, sin, and death. And that's the progression. That's the devil's LSD. Lust, sin, and death. Solomon said it this way. He said, the bread of deceit is sweet, but afterward, a man's mouth shall be filled with gravel. Yeah, forbidden fruit is fun. I mean, that's part of the joy of something forbidden. I mean, it's just exciting to, you know, stretch the boundaries and go past the limits, and that's part of the appeal to it. But the fact is, afterward, when guilt fills the soul, the Bible said it's like having your mouth filled with gravel. I read a little bit about that. They think that maybe that statement came from what people would do to their enemies back in that day. They would give them bread mixed with gravel. 
The people so desired the food to have, they were hungry, and yet if they tried to chew it, they only could chew gravel. Be wise, my friend. While sin is tantalizing, look for the hook. Look for the hook. Whenever that sin comes my way, God is just saying, be careful. Remind yourself, God never did this. He didn't put you in this situation. You cannot have, there's no alibi that we have. Everybody sins by themselves. That's why the Bible says, when we stand before God, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. I won't give an account of my dad. You say, well, my dad was mean to me. Well, that doesn't give me an excuse for my bad behavior. Well, my mom didn't, well, it makes no difference. God can never be blamed for my sin. It is against his nature. He, he cannot do it. It is impossible. Not only is it against his nature, it's against any circumstance that he would ever put us in. God would never promote evil. He wouldn't put us next to a person if he didn't know we could withstand it. Now, we might put ourselves in that situation. I don't think we ought to go to a bar and then, you know, think that, you know, God's going to get me through this. No, I think you ought to have enough brains not to go there if you have an alcohol problem. I think you ought to just stay away from as best you can. But you can't keep away from every sin, every temptation. And that's what God is saying here. You can't keep away from that bait. It's attractive to you. It's, it's your bait. I mean, you might be a bass and you like a little pink lures, or you might be a trout, and you like little shiny lures, or you might be a, you know, a sturgeon, and you like other, but every one of us got a little different bait. But look for the hook. There's a hook inside that bait. And so God said, don't let your free will say yes to lust. Because when you say yes, then a marriage takes place. And when the marriage takes place, sin, when it is conceived, brings forth a sin baby. And sin babies are so exciting. Everybody loves their sin baby. Oh, I've never been so free in all my life. Never felt so, so happy in all my life. Get away from all those rules and regulations. And boy, I just having the time of my life. But that sin baby, I promise you, is going to break your heart. Going to break your heart. So God said, don't give in to that. Don't give in to that. Because it brings forth in the end something that is tragic. You say, what is the answer, pastor, to all of this? The answer is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the answer. How do I know that? Because everybody who sins is looking for something. In the Old Testament, the prophet says, the desire of the nations is the Messiah. The desire of every nation is the Messiah. Today, there are problems in Thailand. There are problems in China. There are problems in every nation in the earth. But the fact is, the answer to all of that is Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is the answer. When a man falls into temptation, when a woman falls into temptation, it's because they're trying to satisfy something. But if, you don't, but if you're satisfied, you don't need that. Jesus is the thing that satisfies. Martin Luther, the great reformer, was also a powerful speaker and writer. He was often very graphic, especially of his description of his interaction with the devil. One person asked him, how did he overcame the devil? 
And he said, well, it's kind of like this. When the devil comes knocking up on the door of my heart, and he asks the question, who lives here? The dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he's moved out. And now I live here. And the devil sees the nail prints in his hands, and he sees those scars on his head, and the devil runs. Because when the devil sees Jesus in my heart, he said, don't mess with that person. Don't mess with him. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning.